This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Anthony Johnston. And I'm Brian Latendry, and today we are discussing the 2017 album from German thrash veterans creator, Gods of Violence. German thrash pioneers, you could argue. Uh, you could argue, well, I don't, you don't have to argue because they are considered to be <laughs> yeah. one of the Teutonic Big Four. Indeed. So, yes. Uh, but a band that I haven't had a ton of history with until recent years because of, uh, you know, their more recent stuff. And, and I can't wait to talk about this one today. Yeah, I don't think you're alone in that. There's a, I'm a creator have been around for a long time. They lived nearly 40 years. Um, but unless you were into them and into that scene, you may not have come across them that much because it's only in recent years that they started to, like a lot of these actually veteran acts that are still around, I think just because of the explosion in live music, because everybody's now going to festivals and there are so many more metal yep. festivals everywhere than there used to be, there's a lot of these older bands that are suddenly having a new lease of life because they're good, because they've been doing this for so long. Uh, you know, all of these bands, not just Creator, Testament as well, are having a new, you know. Sure. And I think a lot of it is just like, people going like, wow, these guys are really good. It's like, well, yeah, they've been doing it for nearly 40 years. Of course they are. <laughs> and I would say in the case of Creator, that their sound has evolved to be even more in my wheelhouse than a lot of their earlier stuff. And so for me, they have become a band that is really right in the sweet spot for me. And, and, uh, and we could talk about that too when we get into to the album here but it's been a while it has and this is the first episode of volume five volume five crazy how many years <laughs> have we been doing this now i don't even want to think uh was it 2014 we started that, that can't be right can it that can't be right no it can't be six we cannot be in our sixth year now hang on a second that's bonkers <laughs> insane this is crazy that i can't even remember i'm gonna check all right well as you're checking i, I can sort of vamp so yeah volume uh volume five which is crazy Track one. I think we hit 16 tracks on the previous volume. I want to say with our bonus track with Probot, which was the last episode that we did. We did. That's right. Yeah. It was 2015. So I was only one year out. So five years. Wow. Man. July 2015 we started. So almost five years we've been doing this. That is nuts, isn't it? I feel like I should have got you a present. What's the five-year anniversary? Is it like wood or uh, granite? I don't even know. <laughs> Let's call it metal. Five-year, uh, year five is just metal. I was, gonna, I was just going to say, yeah, it should be steel, shouldn't it? You know? Yeah, exactly. Steel, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, it is uh, crazy. But it has been. We did take a bit of a break. You know, welcome back, everyone, after the holidays. Welcome back, as it turns out, to the apocalypse as we record this. I know. Everybody's, we were like, hey, um, well, the yeah. apocalypse started, so we probably should yeah. get back in and uh, record <laughs> the next, the first part of the next volume. So if you needed a theme for this volume, then, you know. Yeah, as, as we record this, pretty much everybody's on lockdown because of the COVID-19 pandemic, as I'm sure everybody listening is aware. Um uh, which is kind of crazy, uh, but you know, uh, we basically we just want to make want to wish everybody the best, and you know, hope that everybody out there is staying safe, practicing social distancing, all of that stuff, doing everything your uh, health experts tell you to stay safe and sanitary, wash your hands. You know, let's not get too deep into it, but just wish that everybody's uh, healthy and well. Yeah, we spent our off-air time before we started this show uh, commiserating and uh, and talking about all the things that are giving us anxiety right now. But we also talked about the fact that podcasts uh, and shows like this are a good escape for people and something to probably relieve some stress in this particular time. So that's what we're going to focus on in this show and uh, and move yes. forward. Because for I know for me, music has continued to be my go-to 
for just dealing, you know, listening well, to music before yeah. I go to bed. At, oh, totally. Before I go to bed at night, when I get up in the morning while I'm working, just, you know, just, uh, it's my security blanket and and it has been, you know, through, through every difficult time that I've gone through in my life, which is one of the reasons we even do this show, uh, music has always been that important to me and now more than ever. Right. Yeah. One thing I will mention, uh, if there's anybody out there who is suddenly finding themselves working from home, you know, who, who didn't work from home before, cause there's a lot of people in that situation. Uh, and I mentioned this because I took part in it. My friend, Glenn Fleischman, uh, who's a technology writer, podcaster, Jeopardy, two-time Jeopardy winner, uh, and many other things, uh, put together a book of tips from people like me who work at home all the time and have been doing so for years uh, and made it free. Um, he does a lot of work with the Take Control people who make like technical manuals and stuff. Uh, it's called Take Control of Working from Home Temporarily. Go to takecontrolbooks.com uh, and you'll find it there. And it's it is literally just a book full of tips and advice about working from home put together by Glenn from, you know, sort of he asked basically everybody he knows who's a freelancer, what would you say to people who are doing this for the first time? Uh, and like I say, it's completely free ebook in multiple formats and you can go and grab that now. And I would, you know, obviously I, I'm in it, but I'm only a tiny, tiny, small part of it. It's full of really good advice from lots and lots of experienced people in that area. That's awesome. I'm actually going to recommend that to some people on my team today because I do work mostly remote, but I have several members of my team now who are remote for the first time really ever. And that and it, adjustment. It, it, it's a frightening situation, isn't it? You know, well, it totally is. I mean, just the work life balance piece of it, just the, the, the being able to, especially when you have other people in the home with you trying to find that space to actually get work done and manage your schedule and all. There's so many things and, uh, they've been dealing with it like champs, but I'm sure a resource like that would be very much appreciated. Mm. The other, other thing I'll mention, uh, not related to this show is that in the interim between, uh, the end of the last volume and the start of this one, I launched, uh, another podcast. Um, which is called Writing and Breathing. And it's basically me talking to other authors about how we write, you know, our processes and methods and what how we get through the day, what our days look like, how we approach writing a story, that sort of thing. Um, obviously, nothing to do with metal, nothing to do with music, but if you're interested in talks about creativity, which I know some of our listeners probably are, you can go and find that. It's just a, go to writingandbreathing.com. Um, and, uh, I think the fourth episode just went out yesterday as we record this. So you can go and listen. Well, to having listened to the first episode twice already, I will tell you that, uh, <laughs> I absolutely love it. I mean, I, that is exactly the type of podcast that I love to listen to and that I love to, to do. And so for me, like I'm, I am fascinated by the creative process and, other people's processes. And so it's pretty much everything that I wanted in a podcast. And I just love hearing people's different approaches to like what I do. Right. Which, which you is, know what I mean? Just like yeah. what, how everybody has a different routine. They have a different approach. They have a different way of getting into the right headspace to, to write and uh, the ways that they hold themselves accountable. And it, it's just fascinating to listen to. Yeah. And I agree. And that's why I started doing the show because I'm fascinated by that stuff as well. And I love, I wanted to, part of the thing I wanted to do was get across to people that everybody approaches creativity differently and everybody's processes and methods are different, even though we all do the same job. Um, so, uh, you know, much like musicians, you know, everybody yep. approaches writing songs differently as well. And no way is 
the correct way. Um, what matters is what comes out of it at the other end. As long as you can produce, as long as it works for you, hey, you know. Yeah, totally. It it actually made me pine for the. I I used to do a podcast, which I think you were on it at one point, but just called uh, C. Brian Wright. It was conversations with creative people, and uh, and it was that sort of thing. But it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't necessarily just writers. It was you know game developers and, and different people. But that's all it was. It was just me basically conning people into coming onto my show for an interview so that I could just hear all about their creative process for an hour and just be like, tell me how you do this. Tell me how you do this. And, well, uh, and so the, it's great. You say conning, but the thing is, and you and I know this is that like, we don't get asked about that side of things all that often, you know, people always ask, well, where'd you get your ideas from that sort of thing? But the nitty gritty stuff about, okay, what do you actually do all day? You know, yeah. what's your routine? How do you get into your right headspace? That sort of thing. A lot of people don't ask us that. And so, when I've been approaching guests to come on the show, a lot of them have been like, oh, great. Yeah, I never get to talk about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And you make a great point with that because what happened, and you know this better than anyone because you've done billions of interviews where people are uh, asking you questions about a particular project. And we used to joke about this, you know, back in the the uh, comic book days you know, years ago of like most of the time when you get interviewed, you get asked the same five questions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so, and it's all, and it's all the same stuff. And so it is refreshing to be able to have a longer conversation and get into things that you don't get to talk about as opposed to, you know, when did you first get started? Who was your inspiration? Um, you know, the five yeah. questions that you get emailed every time of like, can you what answer Marvel these from What character would you really like to write? Yeah, but, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yes. Yes. If you graduate from your other projects and you get to go write for Marvel, yeah. Anthony, what Marvel character <laughs> exactly. would you really want to work on? <laughs> yeah. uh, um, so good. Anyway, so yeah, oh, people man. can find that, as I say, at writingandbreathing.com. Uh, and there's a Patreon and stuff and, you know, just go there and read about it. Um, and also... In the gap since the last episode, we have some new patrons, speaking of Patreon. Uh, and they are Helga Andrew Goodmanson, John Halter, Simon Lake, Thomas Maurer, who is a, a comics letterer that I've worked with on a couple of projects. Um, and then uh, a guy called Vortvicht, who is a German musician who was introduced to the show by that same Thomas Maurer. Um and is an old school My Dying Bride fan. So we had a bit of a conversation about that. He's done like cover versions of some of their classic songs and stuff, which are quite good. Well, so, I'm going to apologize first. Uh, welcome to all, to all of you. And I'm going to apologize to all of our German listeners today for the mispronunciation of names <laughs> that we're going to get into shortly, um, because I'm quite sure that I will not. I will not do them all justice, but yeah, uh, it's, yeah it's welcome to, to everyone. Uh, the other thing, too, and, and as we get into our Facebook um feedback from the last episode that we did also huge shout out to our facebook community um and to people on twitter as well who even when we're on a bit of an extended absence between shows we still get emails we still get people reaching out on twitter we still get tons of people in the facebook group putting up album recommendations I, my favorite thing is when people go back and they're catching up on episodes and so we'll just see like a discussion from 2 years ago yeah. <laughs> that will just like blow up again and and everybody oh i just caught up in this episode i just listened to this and so it's um it's it that's been great that is the that's one of the corners of social media that i that i still gravitate to now in these uh you know amidst all the noise right now yeah yeah no it's uh it is amazing how the community because you know this is what three months now basically since we've done an episode i think so uh and the community has just kept rolling along that whole time it's it's fantastic 
And, you know, as we've said before, without at any point devolving into flame wars and shouting matches or horrible political arguments and stuff, it's uh, it really is an oasis <laughs> amongst really, the internet. It really is. It's the Animal Crossing of uh, <laughs> <laughs> Facebook groups. <laughs> uh, so let's see. So let's get into our uh, yeah, yeah. probot feedback here. And again, we had done the, this is the Dave Grohl album where he brought together uh, musicians from all different bands and basically did his love letter to, uh, to metal in this particular album. Art said, I didn't even know this existed and now I've got to get myself a copy. I'd love to hear you guys cover a Tenacious D album. Uh, their movie is so underrated. Dave Grohl plays Satan in it too. I did know that Dave Grohl played Satan in their, uh, in the video too for the tribute song, right? Didn't he? Yeah, that's I'm right. pretty sure he did. Uh, Stuart said, really enjoyed this album, and I've got this episode to thank for having heard it at all. So this was kind of a theme, is that this was a lot of people's introduction to this album, and and maybe it just wasn't promoted that much back in the day when it first came out? Yeah, it's like I said on the episode, you know, there are a lot of people who literally just don't even know the album exists. That's one of the reasons I wanted to do it, was apart from the fact that I do genuinely love the album, was also just to expose it to people, because, yeah, you know, I don't think it's ever... I don't think it's it's strictly speaking out of issue because obviously these days nothing's really ever not available. You know, if right. it's on streaming services, it's generally there around forever. Um, but if you don't know to go looking, you know, it's not going to come up in and if you're playing a Foo Fighters album, <laughs> it's not going to come up in your recommended listens probably. Right. Um, so yeah, most people just I think have never even don't even know it exists, let alone haven't heard it. They haven't heard of it. So I'm glad that so many listeners now are aware of it. You know, whether they liked it or not, at least everybody now knows what it is. And that's always a good feeling, too, on the show, where that's one of my favorite responses to any episode is like, oh, never heard this, checked it out, actually digged it. Um, that's, that's the best. So Stuart went on to say many of the bands emulated were right in my wheelhouse and I've got to side with Anthony. Uh, the lead Dorian track is one of my favorites. I've always enjoyed cathedral's music and Lee's vocals are so much better here than on cathedral cathedral's albums. In my opinion, he said, uh, he said, uh, the Max Cavalera track is probably my next favorite, uh, love Voivod. So I do love the snake track. And the cover art was done by Away, Voivod's drummer. So that is very Voivod as well. Uh, so he really liked that. Uh, Franzel said, I didn't like this album when it came out. Uh, he didn't like the non-melodic vocals very much at the time. But listening to it now and preparing for the episode, this album rocks. So he revisited it and liked it. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Dave said, this album came out during Grohl's Can Do No Wrong period. He said, 1999, my favorite Foos album, There's Nothing Left to Lose. 2000, sang and played drums on Goodbye Lament on Tony Iommi's Iommi album. 2001, played drums on Tenacious D's first album. 2002, drums on Queens of the Stone Age's Songs for the Deaf. 2003, drums on Killing Joke's uh, album. He said, listen to this if you haven't. It's great no matter what. And Grohl is just a monster on it. 2004 was Probot. And 2005, Drums on Garbage's Bad Boyfriend. That's, so that's a pretty a, good run, yeah. That's a pretty good run from 99 to 05 during that particular time, um, especially if you're a Dave Grohl fan. Uh, and then there was actually some people posting, uh, for anyone who hasn't heard Grohl play with Killing Joke, listen to this. Kenneth posted that. So you can actually find that video on the thread. 
Uh, Todd said, my feelings about how King Diamond's vocals mesh versus his music are the same as Ned Flanders' feelings on Woody Allen's acting. And I'm going to try and read this because he posted a picture that said, uh, I like his films except except for that nervous fellow who is always in them. Oh. <laughs> so, yes, he likes it. sounds like he likes the idea of King Diamond, except for everything that King Diamond does. Yes. <laughs> um, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that King Diamond just released a new song recently. And there's a new album forthcoming. Oh, right. I don't know how recently, but I did see something. Um, because I don't know if you saw this, but yesterday, as we record this today, so unfortunately it's passed, Bandcamp had a day of yes, basically not taking their cut from sales of music on their platform, which was yeah. pretty awesome. And it, I think it, somewhere in there I saw something about King Diamond. Right, yeah. No, that was uh, that was a pretty great gesture. Uh, because, I mean, as somebody who sells music on Bandcamp, they don't take a massive cut they yep. are very good about that you know it's like yes obviously they take a cut they have to to keep their lights on but they're not onerous they really don't take a lot but even so every little counts at, at times like these and so it was a really good gesture of them to give up and promote it not only give up the revenues but then promote it and encourage people to buy from the site on a day when they weren't making any money from it you know so that's a sort of double hit if you like it was very good of them yep uh, Christopher said, just finished this episode and it was fun. I'm not familiar with a lot of these bands, but I'll give my opinions on the bands I do know. The Kronos song that opens the record is good and sounds like a song that wasn't quite good enough to make it onto Venom, Resurrection. <laughs> uh, I can use that description for most of the songs, I think he's saying, uh, for the songs with Max Cavalera and with Lemmy as well. Neither song would make it onto a Sepultura or Motorhead record. I might disagree with that Sepultura one. I would, and I would disagree with the Motorhead one as well. I could absolutely see Shake Your Blood on a Motorhead album, and anybody, I'm sorry, but if you think that that wouldn't make it onto a Motorhead album, you clearly haven't listened to haven't Motorhead. Haven't listened to enough Motorhead, yeah. Like early 90s period, where songs of far lower quality than she yeah, there's, blood there's, were on motorhead <laughs> there's room uh for sure in that discography to make it on there yeah. uh, he said as for the king diamond song i'm not feeling it being a massive merciful fate fan i cannot place where this song would fit so that's an interesting um that's an interesting sort of thought exercise right is like if you have trouble reconciling that artist's rendition on this album and where it would fit within their own discography as opposed to just being able to say like they're doing something that's reminiscent but a little bit different on this album you know like um which i find sometimes when it when a musician or band that you love does do some sort of a departure like if it doesn't feel like it fits within their overall catalog or discography like it, it there's that almost sense of unease right i remember when dave mustaine did uh md45 with and he didn't sing on it he just played guitar on it he then later re-recorded it with his uh with his own vocals on it years and years later but um it was quite a departure for him but yeah it's always a little bit weird when when somebody uh, does something different but i feel like most of these songs that these artists are doing on this album were in the wheelhouse of what they would normally do yeah i would say so absolutely i mean i said that again during the episode i think a lot of these actually could quite easily slide onto uh albums by those artists and you wouldn't necessarily notice the difference you know not all of them but i think a, a, an awful lot of them yeah which is as i said at the time you know was a a tribute to uh grohl's songwriting and an indication clearly of how much 
how well he knew those artists and how much he yep. loved their music. Because again, as I said at the time, you can't do pastiches like that unless you know and love the original material. In fact, actually, just to take a slight diversion, one of the things I've been doing <laughs> for the last week during the uh, pandemic thing as a way to kind of keep people's spirits up is I've been writing a parody pastiche. Oh, of, I've been following it. Have you been watching this called Shelter in Place of like sort of <laughs> so hard, good. hard man thrillers? Um, uh, right. And that's a Jack Reacher, if you will. Basically, yeah, a friend, a friend described it as Garth Marenghi writes Jack Reacher, which is pretty <laughs> oh spot on. Oh my God, that's perfect. Uh, and yeah, the whole, you know, I'm, I can do that because I do genuinely read those books and love that fiction. You know, I, I kid because I love and I can write those pastiches and parodies because I love the material. And as I what say, was I the think, freaking line that you put out about him coming out of the shadows or something like oh, that? He, I was he, dying. He, he emerged from the dark like a man from the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's so awesome i am quite proud of that yeah, yeah um, you should be it's brilliant <laughs> but like i say the getting back to the point that yeah this in the probat album i think really shows uh it uh, grows credibility within the metal community you know as i've said i'm not a huge foo fighters fan uh they're not an especially heavy band but you can't make an album like probot unless you have a deep seated and long-held love of those bands and that kind of music well tortith uh what a perfect segue anthony because tortith's uh comment was i think you both hit it on the head with you have to love it to pay it such an homage Mm. this was a ton of fun and a good look back at something i only glanced over also it's been mentioned in previous episodes but brendan small's death clock is clearly a joke band that is amazing in every right i could not agree more there will definitely be a death clock episode at some point uh, in the future, if you've never watched Metalocalypse or listened to the Death album, especially the first one, it is perfection. It's like it is very actually, much in that I, same I, vein. It, lots of people like you have recommended it, and I've never got around to watching or listening to it. So that would be an interesting episode to do. Oh, if you uh, if you're looking for something to watch, and I don't know what streaming service would have it, but it was an Adult Swim uh, show, Metalocalypse, that was. <laughs> just basically these four idiot incompetent death metal band members of the biggest band in the world who just uh were actually seen as a global threat because of the following that they actually have there it's <laughs> there's like a mythology behind it that's really great but the the stupid antics that they get into but the songs the songs are and brendan small uh for anybody that's not familiar uh if you've ever watched bob's burgers uh he was that's not his show but the group of people, uh, Lauren Bouchard, who who does Bob's Burgers, there was previous shows, Dr. Katz, um, who, which was a show on Comedy Central, where he was a uh, therapist for stand-up comedians. And it would basically, they would come on and do their bits, and it was done in like a squiggly sort of animation. But then there was a show called Home Movies that was out for a little while that was really great, too. And Brendan Small was the main character's voice on that particular show. And so super talented, amazing guitar player. You can actually see him do tutorials of playing the, the death clock, uh, metalocalypse theme song online and stuff like that. But yeah, great show, amazing album. And I think he did like three death albums, um, and like a cosmic space opera and stuff. He's super talented. Cosmic space operas. I'm always here for that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in home movies, they did a episode that was about someone making a rock opera about Kafka. And wow. Uh, wow. that is worth Googling because <laughs> it is 
fantastic. So good. Uh, okay, I digress. Uh, Andy said, against all odds, I really like this record. Uh, like you guys, Dave Grohl is someone I think well of, despite not being a huge fan of Foo Fighters. I think his guitar playing is B+. Charming, if a bit limited, but clearly his love for the material is the big feature here. And it's hard not to be swept away by Grohl's enthusiasm. This is super fun. I think that's the perfect yep. attitude to take around this album, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that's I couldn't have summed it up better myself. Uh and then I'll I'll leave us with this one. Keith said, I bought this album when it came out, didn't really like it, and that was that. In the time between, I've gotten way more into Venom, Celtic Frost, and this episode prompted me to listen again. Holy shit, I've listened to the record quite a bit since. Thanks for bringing me back to it. Hey! <laughs> so great discussion around that one, as usual. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, as we said before, we uh, we love our Facebook community. It is uh, one of the bright spots. <laughs> of social media for us uh, and of facebook frankly if i may be so bold oh man yeah <laughs> talk about talk about an island oasis in the midst of the apocalypse i mean yeah facebook now i, I feel like it is uh we're kind of on a, that little floating piece of ice now just our our facebook group and really i'll be honest with you the facebook group is one of the only reasons that i actually keep facebook is because of that group oh wow wow high praise indeed um, mm-hmm. All right, so before we get on to the album, let me just uh, do the sort of mid-show reminder of where people can find stuff like that. So the Facebook group is at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. You can support the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash thrashed out. And if you go to thrashedoutpodcast.com, that's got links to all of those things and also links to our the email for the show and mine and Brian's Twitter accounts uh, and, of course, all the previous episodes so creator as you said one of the teutonic big four um a band that so it sounds like when did you first hear of creator i mean i had heard of them years and years ago and i had heard songs of theirs years and years ago but i didn't i never bought a creator album like during my thrash upbringing and all of that stuff and so they weren't they were just a band that i knew about it's it's almost like saxon right when we talked about saxon of like i knew that they existed i you know had heard that they were these thrash veterans and i had heard that they you know of their place in the landscape but when and if i had heard songs of theirs in the past like they just didn't grab me to the point where i dug deeper and so uh, it's only been in recent years, and I, I think the album before this one is Phantom Antichrist, and which was like from 2012. So there's a five year gap in between these two albums here, and it's really that it's their later stuff that that kind of got me into it. And then I've since gone back and listened to you know Como of Souls. I just listened yesterday to Pleasure to Kill, um, and their early stuff for me is just so straight ahead. And so, oh, um, it really is. It's sort of well, I mean, because they were. I mean, there were uh, Miller Petrozza, the who's basically the the main guy in Creator, has said that you know, and said at the time, has always said that Metallica were a huge influence on him, and you can really hear that in those early albums. But what Creator did was always veer more towards the death sound, or what would become the death metal sound. That's the thing they were doing a lot of stuff that we now associate with death metal before there was really a death metal scene. Um, and part of that is Miller's vocals, which have precisely two 
range, uh, you know, sort of, <laughs> he's got a range of two notes, uh, and he hits them both regularly. Um, but he is basically a screamer. Uh, yep. and yeah, you know, they've always been, I mean, like you, I wasn't into them at the time, but they, I knew that they were a heavy, you know, thrash German thrash band. Uh, the first I heard of them was I was in a band and, uh, the guitarist was a fan of creator and he gave me the cassette tape, his cassette tape copy of renewal, which is their mid nineties album where they went a bit industrial. So ironically, it's the album that most of their diehard fans don't like, which is probably why he gave it to me. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I really like, this is the it. one for you. Yeah. But I really liked it. It's got a couple of the, the final two tracks on the Europe after the rain and depression unrest. I think are absolutely storming tracks, but because everybody told me, Oh, this isn't, yeah, this is a departure. This isn't like their regular stuff, but I liked it. I thought, well, I won't bother listening to their other stuff then. So I didn't actually seek out any other, uh, creator records for quite some time until recent years when I started thinking, Oh yeah, I mean, let's go and listen to their other stuff and see just how different it was. And yes, it was very different because their early stuff was really straight ahead thrash with, yeah, sort of death tinges. Um, but still pretty good. Well, and you've, you've already broken the seal on mentioning Metallica at least once per episode. So now that you've done that, I will, I will say that, um, this is a good example of like, you know, I because my knee-jerk reaction to people saying like, "Oh, I I came in during the load era of Metallica," and that's where my entry point to that, and and that being like an immediate sort of cringe for me of like, "Oh, that's that that's your starting point for Metallica." But I think this is another example of like, you can come in at different eras of a band and really start to appreciate where they're at at that time, and then sort of go back and dig into the history and and take what you need from it. Um, for a particular band, and that was definitely the case for Creator. And, and again, similarly, I would say for me, like Saxon, right, where I, I came to Saxon in later years and then was able to go back and appreciate uh, at least some, if not all, of their sort of back catalog. And that was definitely the case um, for me with Creator. And, I, and the other thing, too, is from a success standpoint, <clears throat> I believe that they said that Creator has sold about 2 million albums worldwide. Right, so in the grand scheme of things, when you when you look at like the the big four that we talk about all the time, that's that's some distance away from that. But in recent years, that's when they've really become a lot more successful globally, and and also just critically, even at home. Like this album debuted at number one on yeah. the German charts. It's their highest rank, their highest ever, you know, um, and it's their fourteenth studio album. Yeah. Well, so, and the other thing about those album sales is this is where the importance of, uh, you know, what used to be known as breaking the American market comes in because that still makes them one of the best selling German metal bands. Right. Yeah. Great point. Uh, you know, because most of those bands never broke America and they were only popular in Europe, which obviously has, you know, a lot of people, but country by country, nowhere near as many as the U.S., uh, where, whereas when you hit the charts in the U S that means that you've appealed across like a wide swathe of the entire country of yeah, 300 plus million people. Um, so you've got to t- take that into account with the European bands that if they never really cracked America, uh, you know, although, as you say, there's a big drop off in terms of absolute numbers for the sales relatively compared to other European bands that's actually still a lot of records, very successful. And I think a lot of that, again, as we said at the start, comes from them having, they've always been a touring band. They've played 
they've toured and played live pretty much their entire career. Um, and I've never seen them live, but by all accounts, they are very, very good live, you know, put on a really good show, very technically adept. Um, and Miller's, shall we just say aggression <laughs> in his performance, you know, in his, on it, on the records is replicated. You know, he's able to bring that same energy and aggression to the shows, which obviously for a band like this is what you really want. Yeah, I mean, for me, it there. I think a lot of Slayer as well. When I when I think of uh, clearly, you can hear the yeah. Metallica influence, but definitely Slayer and and vocally, uh, you know, yes. doesn't Very have Tom the same Aria-like, range yeah. as early Tom Araya. But uh, here's the thing about Miller's voice: I freaking like it. Like, oh, I, me too. I know some I love people it. are going to say that that's the thing that maybe throws them off on this album, but not for me, man. I think I, I because he is. What I love about his approach is he doesn't let his lack of range ever limit the energy that he's bringing to a song. Yeah. And so, especially with these later albums, there's a ton of melody in these albums. And he, like, it, it just feels like there's never a time where he's like, well, that's kind of out of my range, so let's not do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like he just goes for it one way or the other. And, and, and well, like to say, me, it just comes across as very sort of uh, genuine and authentic. Yeah. No, like I said, he's got two pitches, uh, you know, <laughs> but what more do you need? <laughs> as long as you can go up and I down, mean, you know. <laughs> nope, I don't think you need any any more when you, when you listen to this album. Um, yeah. No, I, I love his voice. I mean, he's... He's right on the sort of edge of goblin thrash, as we call it. A hundred percent, dude. But he's just on the right side of it. There's so yep. much aggression behind it. And he really yep. is. The other thing, and this is, well, I'm sure I'll talk about this with regards to some of the individual songs as well, but I've spoken before about I much prefer sort of shout screamers to growlers yep. know, as, as a general rule. And he 100%. is absolutely a shout screamer. Now, if you listen to it, he is clearly you know, it's controlled. He's doing yep. it in a way that doesn't blow out his voice and he can do it, you know, night after night on the road. But nevertheless, it is a very aggressive shout scream style. Uh, I read one review online of this album, actually, that described his voice as Miller's delivery could eviscerate kittens from a hundred yards. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a pretty accurate, but here's the other thing. It's funny because I remember when I posted about this album a couple years ago and how much I was digging it. Someone was like, yeah, as soon as I heard the song about Satan, I was out. When you listen to this album, though, when you look at and we'll get into the lyrics of different songs. This is a very empowering album and has some really great lyrics on it and also covers some very interesting topics over the yeah. course of the album. And so, like... It is, uh, I think this is another one of those bands. I mean, metal suffers from this overall, right? Is that sort of uh, judging a book by its cover sort of thing. But um, I hope that people really spent some time with this one and and found, A, that it's much more melodic and intricate than maybe first listened through, and B, that it really has some very empowering and positive themes in it that looking at the front cover of the album, you might not immediately uh, know that you're in for. Yeah, I mean, it, it is classic, uh, you know, and the track, again, yeah, you just say, we'll get onto it when we talk about the track, individual tracks, but the track Satan is Real is, if you listen to the lyrics, is clearly saying that actually, you know, Satan, as we think of it 
on the Christian perspective is a myth because I'm Miller's uh, quite an advocate, uh, you know, quite an outspoken atheist for one thing. Yep. Um, and sort of anti-organized religion, you know, not anti-faith, but anti-organized religion because root of all war and all that sort of thing. Yep. Um, you know, that is, and that that is the message in that song. And it's quite clear if you read the lyrics, but of course, most people will only see the imagery and the title won't get into the lyrics and won't realize that, as you say, it's a problem that a lot of metal suffers from, but yeah, he's, he's a great lyricist. There are a lot of lyrics on this album. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. (laughs) You know, these songs, there are a lot of lyrics, um, but they are good, especially considering, you know, English is not his first language. Uh, and early creator did suffer a bit from, you know, the sort of delightful missteps in translation, that you uh-huh. get from some Euro metal, but later, by the time certainly of renewal, and here clearly still, his English is basically perfect. Um, and yeah, he's as I say a great lyricist who preaches, if he's you know can be said to preach anything, love, peace, anti-corruption, <laughs> you know, Dude, all yes. classic metal themes. A hundred percent. And his uh, just to jump real quick to a, a quote from an interview. He said, creator, uh, he was asked, this was a Loudwire interview from 2017. Uh, The guy said, creator is a band with a long respected history in the community. What's the one thing that you really hope people will get out of listening to creator? And his response was joy. He said, they should enjoy the music. Simple as that. Uh, We try to, to me, a positive mental attitude is very important. So metal to me is something that has a very positive energy. There's nothing better than going to a metal show. A band can play and everyone goes berserk. That's how we creator. That's how I see the purpose that's the purpose to play live he said the exchange of energy and the excitement and the enthusiasm of the music i think that's what people should get out of it if anything honest aggression and honest celebration of metal i freaking love yep. that dude it's great and like i say you know that's like so many metal bands it's uh people mistake the aggression for sort of mindless uh i don't know closed-minded hatred or whatever when most of the time it's defiance you know and it's defiance against corrupt authority if there's one thing that metal has always done it is rail against corrupt authority from sabbath right through to the modern day through all of the thrash and the grunge and everything you know and even the emo movement you know railing against corrupt authority has been a staple of metal since its inception uh, and creator lyrically are one of the best groups doing that. I I think. Oh, absolutely. And so many of the songs on this album are a rallying cry for the resistance, you know, and yeah. it's, it's, uh, and as you said, as we get into, to it, we'll, we'll go a little deeper. Uh, let's see another interview quote, someone, and this is very apropos. Uh, he, he was, basically being asked about the times that we live in. And this was back in 2017 and, and sort of whether or not it's a good source of inspiration. And he said, yeah, it is a good source of inspiration. I think the inspiration that comes from, you know, these terrible times gives you the energy to write angry music, but there could be different sources more positive. On the other hand, that's a way of dealing with these things with negative energy, turning it into something positive. And I think that goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show, you know, is just the, uh, the release and the, um, the catharsis of yeah. having metal and being able to, to get that energy out. Exactly. Um, we haven't actually really talked much about the origins of the band. And I just want to touch on this because, uh, I have heard from, you know, sometimes we say about these bands have been around a long time or, you know, clearly 
everybody listening to this knows who such and such are. But apparently that's not true because I have heard from people going, yeah, not always, you know. So, um, so just to recap, they were formed in Germany in Essen uh, in 1982 by Miller Petrozza, who is, you know, the, the lead singer, the songwriter, the lyricist, the lead, uh, not the lead guitarist, sorry, but the main guitarist, the rhythm guitarist and writes most of the music. Um, so he is the driving force behind the band. There was a drummer, Jürgen Reil, whose nickname is Ventor, who basically has been with the band forever, but has yeah, also other quit than like several- a two year period. Yeah. Right. He's he, him and Miller, you know, it's a bit sort of a bit, uh, Lars They're and the James Mustaine and Ellison the, of this all band. That, yeah, you know, yeah, the they, Lars they, and James. Yeah. They do fall out regularly, apparently. And uh, as we speak, Ventor is not in the band having quit. <laughs> Uh, a year or two ago, but you know, don't be too surprised for him to right. come, come back again <laughs> at some point. Um, and, and then uh, as I say, yeah, a rotating lineup of bassists and, uh, lead guitarists throughout the band's life. But they did, as we said, they started in the, the underground. I think they were originally known by a different name. What were they known as? Tyrant. I Tyrant. Think. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Um, and started in the underground, you know, sort of, proto thrash scene in Germany and quickly rose to prominence in the same way that the big four did, you know, in America in the thrash movement. Um, but like I say, the thing that always made creators stand out was that they had these very, very heavy, what would later come to be known as sort of death and black metal feel to some of their songs uh venom was apparently an early inspiration and you you can hear that in the early stuff like i say i'm not massively familiar with the early stuff but i have listened to it in retrospect Um, i I think pleasure to kill from 86 is a good example of if people want to go back and hear like and you can find at least some cuts of it on youtube to go back and hear like what their early sound was like. Yeah. And, and it is very, from our modern standpoint, you just, you listen to it and you're like, well, this is just a hundred percent thrash. It is absolutely traditional mid eighties thrash. Uh, thrash and death. Like, like it, well, it because it is so aggressive well, and so like blistering. Right. You're right. But my, my point is that I think from a modern standpoint, it's easy to overlook that because we're so used, as we've talked about before, we're so used to those elements now being in almost every metal act. Yes. Unless you are specifically a, you know, sort of light melodic metal act or something, you've probably got some of those aspects to your music. Um, Whereas at the time, that wasn't the case. So I think it's easy to look back and listen to it and go, oh, it's just a thrash record, but you've got to, as with everything, got to take it in context and realize that at the time it was one of the heaviest thrash records around, not just for speed. I mean, it is bloody fast, (laughs) that album, but it's not just about the speed. It is also about, yeah, Miller's voice and the choice of, uh, you know, song arrangements and uh, their sound and everything was extremely aggressive um for yeah, the and time. his delivery was just machine gun fire at that point in time yeah. as opposed to now which it's more uh you can in, you can hear a lot more of the individual words and, and yeah. lines you know <laughs> you can hear the words what a concept yeah <laughs> that's absolutely true yeah yeah i mean like i say i love his voice but yeah early stuff you're just like what is he saying i have no idea right you, you had to go to the lyric sheet on that one and be like oh oh okay okay yes it's about evisceration yep i thought i caught that yep oh intestines okay great he, that's the other thing actually again like for a non-english non-native english speaker he uses a lot of really long words absolutely really long words you like and he uses them correctly I and mean, you're like hats off to you man <laughs> yep 
So, all right, well, let's talk more generally about this album then. So 2017, uh, so it is a few years old now, but it is their most recent album, as you said. Uh, 11 songs, 52 minutes, which is, uh, and again, you know, we will talk about this later. I think there are one or two tracks that you could maybe lose, uh, but nevertheless, it's not too long. You know, 52 minutes, is it doesn't outstay its welcome. Um, I don't think, yeah, I, and, I, and I don't know. I'll be interested to see which ones you think you could lose. I Maybe a couple songs to me are a little bit long in the tooth, but not even long in the tooth, just like they could be shorter. Um, but none that I feel like are straight filler, um, which is why I really, this album oh, no, is like I, super. I, I actually uh, agree on that. Yeah, I don't think there's any filler on the album. I just think that, you know, like any album, some tracks are better than others. And there are one or two that if they weren't on the album, I wouldn't necessarily miss. But they're not bad. Just, you know, if you wanted to bring it down to a tighter, like 45 minutes or something. Right. Uh, you mentioned, uh, we had talked about earlier, the number one on the German charts, number number 118 on the Billboard 200 and number 72 on the UK charts. That was its sort of uh, uh, highest you know, peak position. 72 on the UK charts. I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but honestly, for a metal album, for any metal album, that's not bad. Well, same really thing for isn't. 118 on the Billboard 200. That's that's a good uh, yeah. That's yeah, a good a, one too, especially for a metal album this heavy. Because that's the other thing for people who haven't yet listened to this album, it Ooh. is fucking heavy. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Really? It is uh, relentless <laughs> in its continued aggression. Like it is. Um, even the songs that are the slower songs, even the songs that are the more yeah. contemplative songs, like. Uh, none of them stay uh tranquil for long (laughs) they have brief interludes of that uh which i kind of love about that because i think it's a um, commitment it's and this is the thing about thrash in general right is that there there is you could probably make uh it's almost like the acdc treatment like you could probably make a chart of the five most common thrash rhythms right where you could just chart out one, two, three, four, five. This is the standard thrash rhythms that you'll hear um, in most thrash songs at some point in time. Um, it's all variations on these very limited amount. And I think Creator has a lot of songs that incorporate very straight ahead thrash elements. But in each of those songs, they also are doing something very different. Yes. And that's what I kind of like about it. So even when for a second you're like, oh, this song kind of sounds a little bit samey to this other song over here. Nope. Then they go over here. And so I like that they have, which to me is very ACDC in the sense that it's they they have this uh, foundation that they build off of and they build off of it in very interesting ways. And that's and especially in this album, there's there's orchestral arrangements. There are harps. There are xylophones. There are uh there's a bagpipes. lot yep. bagpipes i mean there's just a lot of melody woven throughout almost every single song on this album and i i love that and it just what? meshes so well with the with the then like punch you in the face aggression that they right. have it reminds me of and this may seem like a strange comparison but it reminds me of the best of pantera in the obviously they don't sound anything like pantera but the best pantera you know the stuff in their golden era was really really fucking heavy but also had some good melody cemetery gates man right had some great choruses that you could you know sing or punch the air along to or whatever you know it's combining those two things is difficult but when you pull it off 
it's really really powerful and it is the, the you know this album he he's uh this whole album is like a call to the resistance you know like a like a rise up there's a lot of anthemic yeah uh elements oh, they can to write this a album. chorus yeah 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 no, I, yeah that's something that i wanted to talk about and i will talk about a lot within individual songs is it's a really great example of how heavy thrash can also be melodic and 100%. great songwriting in both lyrics and the music with brilliant hooks choruses that you can sing along to verse hooks that you can sort of like hum along to or whatever you know that earworms that just stick in your mind there's lots of them on this album a lot of that you can probably credit actually to the producer uh, i read interviews with miller talking about the producers jens bogren who is a veteran producer who's worked oh i was going to name a few uh, of the bands Opeth, so Opeth, soil work amana yep. marth uh symphony x paradise lost uh let's see enslaved, enslaved. Yeah. <laughs> uh devin townsend uh let's see who else uh ex hoarder yeah um basically the man knows what he's doing oh he did secret garden with angra oh i really like that that was the album uh with kiko before he came over to megadeth there's your megadeth mention oh there you go <laughs> take a drink um he according to miller Petrozza, he is a bit of a workhorse yeah, Jens Bogren, he had basically has his own studio. Uh, and it's up at 7 a.m. every morning and in the studio working. Like, none of this, you know, no, no fucking around, no getting up at 1 o'clock and moseying into the studio. He's a proper disciplinarian. Uh, but, he, and also a bit of a perfectionist, and he gets involved in the arrangements of the songs and stuff. And obviously some bands are going to like that more than others. But he produced their last album, Phantom Antichrist, which was, I think, that up to that point, their most successful album, their most commercially I think you're right. yep. successful album. And so they went back to him again um, and did the same thing again. And clearly this process works because what you have is that extreme aggression of early creator combined with the more experimental stuff that they did in the mid-90s and really great songwriting arrangements that that create these earworms like i say that stick in your mind and that really become quite catchy numbers you know there are many songs on this album that within just a few listens i was humming along as i was you know washing the dishes or whatever because they're that catchy and yet nobody could argue that it's not really fucking brutally heavy it is super heavy (laughs) just looking if you go to the the uh jens bogren's wikipedia page between 2003 and today all of these albums were produced that's on his page which is well over 100 albums Jesus. Uh, and all, most of them like mixing mastering um it's you mentioned prolific like it's super impressive and go there's so many good sepulturas on there um between the buried and me um man holy crap arch enemy dragon yeah. force and not, not all of them are his producer. I noticed that, that he does a lot of engineering and mixing as well. Yep. But anybody who knows music knows that, you know, those guys don't get the glam that producers do, but they are every bit as important as producers to the sound of an album. And yeah, as you say, he's done so much work. Yep. Good stuff. Just to, <laughs> I read a good, I read the Pitchfork review of this album. They didn't like it. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. They liked miller's lyrics but they didn't like the music and here's what they said i picked out one phrase that i think really sums it up well and they said 
at times, Gods of Violence plays like an unresolved tug-of-war between quintessential creator and grandiose symphonic metal, and often in the same song. And they say it like it's a bad thing. Oh and I'm my like, god, that's no, like that's... the selling point of the album. <laughs> right, I'm like, no, dude, yeah. that's exactly why this album's great. <laughs> 100%. Could not agree more. That is what I love about this. And I think, I mentioned at the top of the show, there's something about newer creator that has put it right in my wheelhouse. What Where I struggle with symphonic metal is that it, to me, a lot of times, it's it doesn't have enough aggression. Right. It doesn't punch enough. So if you took these thrash metal legends and meld them with a more symphonic feel in parts like that is the type of symphonic thrash that i want like this is this is the perfect it's like a reese's peanut butter cup for crying out loud it's like (laughs) two great tastes that go great together yeah i I don't get that criticism at all that is a selling point so yeah i read it and i'm like no but that's that's not a criticism that's not a bad thing no man all right let's get into the album then so uh Track one is Apocalypticon. He has described this song, uh, this tune, as the soundtrack to the end of the world. That's that is uh, oh, that's right. what Milla okay. said of this particular uh, of this particular intro. Uh, I think you get a lot of what you're going to hear woven through the rest of the album here. This is the, very much the, this sort of anthemic uh, readying for battle, uh, you know, more melodic opening that is the rallying cry that then they're about to really you know put the pedal to the metal with the next song so it's it's a minute and six seconds like it doesn't i I like that it doesn't overstay its welcome it does feel to me like it builds throughout the song and is building towards something which is good so you know it doesn't i don't like when albums open like this if it feels like it's meandering because it's almost like you stub your toe before you get into the the actual (laughs) uh album here i think it's just the calm before the storm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a great setup for for what is to come. It's dramatic, uh, which I, you know, everybody knows. I love. I love a, a good bit of drama in my music. Yep. It's it's martial, but it's melodic. You know, it's got a repeat again, repeating riff, a very catchy repeating riff. Um, it does build up. Apparently, they recruited um, uh, somebody, a band called Flesh God Apocalypse. Uh, to do orchestration and the choirs on this. Uh, and they also did, you know, various bits th- in places on the rest of the album as well. But that's you can hear the choirs sort of come in halfway through and build mm-hmm. up towards the end. And it does really all build towards a climax. Uh, as you say, very short, doesn't outstate his welcome. We've now talked about it for like three times as long. <laughs> as that the, is true. Yeah. As the song, you know. Um, but yeah, but it's a good start and a good setup to the album. And yeah just you know as it reaches that climax with you know your traditional kick cymbal and guitar riff in comes track number two world war now
which as the true opener of this album is exactly what you're going to get from this album. Just, I mean, a punch straight in the face. Again, as I mentioned earlier, a classic sort of thrash rhythm, but it has this climb to it that I really, really like. And it's just, uh, it just explodes. Like it's just a perfect launch from the intro into the first song. And if there was any question as to how aggressive this album was going to be, Answered, asked, answered, this song like right in your face. Yeah, yeah. I, I again, we talk about this a lot. You know the the importance of the opener, but this really does make a statement. Um, funnily enough, in my notes, I put it smacks you around the face as well, which is a phrase that <laughs> I know does. I've overused, but it really does feel like this. Like wham, no yeah. messing around. Um, really, really almost traditional thrash riff. Actually, I mean, it's yes, not an especially I, I sort of modern take on the thrash riff other than the production quality. Um, you know, it is a fairly truck, but it works by God, it works. And those drums, I'm, I'll tell you what, when I found it, cause I didn't know, I didn't realize when I found out that Ventor, the original drummer is still drumming on this album. Cause I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, this sounds like some 20 year old guy right. drumming, yep. you know, I am astounded that a man, his age is able to drum with the intensity and maintained speed that we get throughout this album because make no mistake a lot of this album is fucking fast and really well, and fast he's got to be drums. like early 50s right because i right. think that miller is 52 yeah yeah right and they're contemporary yeah. so he's got to yeah. be around the same age and yeah as i say i was listening to it just assuming that like so many bands these days so many of these veteran bands that they have a younger drummer who's right, able like to the kid keep that up. came up listening to them and right. now has become their drummer. Yeah. Yeah. And he's able to keep up with the speed, but no, no, it's the same drummer. And I'm like, Holy shit. Like my hat is off to you, man. <laughs> right. And, and th- throughout this album, the drums are absolutely furious. Um, they really are. Yeah. And um, he, and you can hear he's hitting the shit out of them. Like oh, yeah. it's not, it's not <laughs> like, uh, it's not like control. Like there's control there, but it is just, that aggressiveness goes right through to every hit. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they use triggers or something that's possible, uh, but regardless, like it is clearly a human playing these, yeah. uh, you know, without digital assistance, regardless of the actual sound. Um, yeah. Really fucking impressive. Um, so this track was apparently inspired by the uh, terror attack in Paris, the Bataclan. Oh, okay. Which creator have played many times apparently uh and you know miller has said they will go back and play again although it's going to feel a bit weird obviously but that's exactly what this track is about uh, hence the title it is uh when that attack happened he said that he basically just realized oh we're already in a war like you know it's not like a coming war or something there is a war going on it's just not a traditional battlefield with soldiers yep. and tanks so a lyric that he had here was suddenly we are at war supremacists have forced us to align with fear itself the poisoner the final level with no front lines which goes to what you just said about like they're they're not exactly. being a structure to this yeah exactly the, the asymmetrical war as they call it um and yeah I, I, it's a classic example of what we were saying about read the lyrics you know these are really really good oh, dude. thoughtful but powerful lyrics one million hands turn into fists like that there's cause they do this like the, the, the sort of uh, breakdowns in the middle of the songs where they, they in many cases get even more anthemic 
And with that, like his sort of rallying cry in the middle of the song is really powerful in this one. But it just talks about how the the resistance is literally forming through this act, and yeah. um, and and people, you know, coming together, and and that's again a theme that comes throughout this entire album. Yeah, musically, one of the things I love about this uh, song is that the chorus feels like it might fall apart at any yes. minute. Yep. Like if you know, you know, you're listening to it, think like, is he is he in time? Is he out of time? Uh, his vocals are just that tiny bit behind the rhythm, but the but he maintains it throughout the yes, chorus, dude. and it's yeah, just a nice little. It gives it this really kind of unsettling, but again, very powerful feel of like almost where you're willing him to like go on, you can make it, you can do it. Yeah, <laughs> totally, it, it, it reminds. I always think in in songs that have that feel. I always think of like an old, uh, you know, like Looney Tunes cartoon where the the car is racing around the hairpin turns of the mountain and like two of the wheels are hanging off the <laughs> yeah. side of the mountain and it's making that turn. But that is absolutely, you just perfectly described like in this song, that's what you're feeling. It's like he's barely hanging on, like he's up on two wheels, but he he's going to make it and you want him to make it. It's like, um, and it, and it has this effect of like pulling you even deeper into the song because you're you're following right behind. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I also, I like the middle eight as well with the, uh, where they do the machine gun, you know, as it's popularly known, the machine gun palm muted chug rhythm. And, yep. you know, it kind of feels, I mean, I do wonder, cause like I say, you know, Miller's a smart man and I wonder if that's a very deliberate, cause everybody calls that the machine gun chug. Yep. And so is that a deliberate choice to have that in the middle eight of this song? I don't know, but it feels appropriate regardless. Yep. All right, let's move on then. Uh, it is brilliant, as you say, is the proper opening track, as it were. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, really sets the table for uh, for well, what is to come. And one last thing I'll say about oh, the song on. is it's because of those middle eights where they often slow it down that it kind of gives you that pause to to even reflect on what you've heard so far. Yeah, like it's almost like this. Uh, and then sort of building up your strength for the rest of the song because then they kick it back into high gear again, and it's smashes you in the face again well and that's the thing it also again you know people it's almost a bit of a joke that thrash songs have the halftime middle eight you know it's such a traditional part of thrash metal now that it's it's almost a joke but it's there for a reason and it is so that as you say you can catch your breath you know to an extent but also so that when they come back to either a verse or a chorus at the regular speed, it's got so much more impact. It feels yep. so much more powerful because it's familiar because you've already heard it earlier in the song. So that helps, you know, immediately your brain sort of locks back into the familiarity, but also it so, feels so much faster and therefore feels so much more aggressive. Um, yep. You know, it's, yeah, it's, people do it for a reason. It works. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's move on then to track three, Satan is Real. Destroyers! 
Yeah, this one is a little more groovy. It is. It is. I love this track. Uh, yep, one of my too. favorites on the album. Um, I love the opening. Great atmospheric opening. I'm a sucker for Very bells. Slayer-esque. <laughs> you know, it is. Very South of Heaven. Right, right, yeah. And like I said, I'm just a sucker for them. But then the main riff, what a fucking riff. Just, oh, and the drums, dude. <sighs> Thunder. Ah, yes, yes, right. So this is one of the things I want to talk about with this song. This is a really good display of songwriting judgment. Because when you've got a riff this fast, this heavy and this fast, with this much double time palm muting, it would be so easy, so standard to have a matching drum beat, to have a drum beat that's going absolute hell for leather, uh, like double time snares, everything. But it doesn't do that. The beat is a normal speed while the guitars are playing double time. And so what it does is it makes the rhythm of the guitars easier to follow. It makes that riff easier to follow as you sort of listen along. But frankly, it also makes it easier to bang your head to it, yep. you know, and to tap your foot. Um, and it serves as a good contrast to the previous track. So it's really, you know, whoever decided to put these tracks in this order, really smart, uh, and just within the song itself. And wouldn't you say, too, from, again, and and I don't have a great knowledge of creator's history, but this feels like one of those evolution points, right? Whereas old school creator maybe just would have been more straight ahead speed. Yeah, right and and, exactly. and and the drums would have followed that beat in the same way and here this choice makes the song just have an another layer of depth and as you said it actually makes it more uh you could bang your head to it even more yeah and it's and it's got that lovely again fairly traditional thrash you know the way it climbs on the second line love it you know yeah it's it's not big or clever We've heard that. No, sort but they of thing do before. a lot of that sort of climbing really in their rhythms, and I really like that because they in in it's like you just said, like the arrangement and the the thoughtfulness of how they build two things and then how they pay those things off is a theme that plays out in most of the songs on this album, almost yes. always in a great way. Yeah, and and again, I think a lot of that just comes from experience of you know. Yep, I have written dozens of songs now over the course of my career, you know, maybe a hundred or more, I, you know, I know how to do this. Um, but also there's, uh, a, I don't want to, I suppose you could call it fearlessness of some bands avoid stuff like this. I feel sometimes because it's traditional, they avoid traditional climaxes and buildups and payoffs and stuff, as you say, because they are traditional and standard. But some of those things are there for a reason, and they yep. do, you know, sometimes the traditional ways are okay. Not always, sure. You know, you want to experiment, you want to try new things. But sometimes, if it feels right, it is right, even yep. if it's, you know, what everybody else would do. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, musically, this is great. It's, again, really fucking heavy. Great lyrics. Uh, Fantastic chorus. I mean... <laughs> Can you can you imagine this? I assume they must have played it live. You know, toured and played it live. Now, can you? Imagine oh, this is a live staple for sure. Oh God, an entire stadium of you know, like metal fans all shouting "Satan is real" at the top of their voices. Well, and to me, like the themes that they're hitting on here, you know, the 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 idea of like des- the desire and gluttony that is prevalent in our world. Like, there's going to be an end to it. There is it's going to come crashing to an end. And he, you know, he's talking about there'll come a day when no man shall survive in this graveyard of desire in due time. You'll realize Satan is real. Um, 
and just kind of taking a look at the world around you, you know? Um, and you mentioned, you know, him being anti-organized religion. And I think a lot of their lyrics too are pointing out like the, these, um, fantastical places that you're thinking that we've either come from or going to go to a lot of times are existing all around you. Just kind of open your eyes and look at what, uh, what is happening around you. Right. And I think that's exactly the point of this, you know, of the title of the song, isn't it? Satan is real because that ability to be evil lives in all of us. Correct. And you only have to look around at people to spot what we think is Satan, but it's actually just people being dickheads yep <laughs> go to your toilet paper aisle at your local market right now and you'll, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you'll see satan the only thing i don't love in this song is the key change uh because i just don't see the need for it i do not think it's necessary i'm not a huge fan of key changes towards the ends of songs sometimes they work but i'm you know it has to be oh, something when they go quite special yeah 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 yeah, yeah. not not a huge fan of that but... almost as like to drive home their point but it has almost the opposite effect it's like it's so that, yeah. that's one thing that again is kind of traditional and cheesy but not so much within thrash you know that's what you expect yes. to hear in sort of traditional pop and rock um yep. yeah it's not it doesn't ruin the song but it's i just don't think it's necessary as you pointed out i totally agree with you yep but like i say doesn't spoil the song overall absolutely fantastic storming song um and then from you know just the hits keep coming as it were Holy shit. Next track, track four, Totalitarian Terror. This song is just fucking awesome. It's my favorite track on the album. It's so good. Um, his scream at the beginning of the song. First of all, he does this in, in several songs throughout the album. But man, just his uh, when he screams and it kicks in full force. And it is just crushing, breakneck thrash. So good. This song, just the beginning of the song is so great. I mean, the, the whole, whole song's song. great, but the right, song yeah. just, the it just explodes. Yeah, I know it is a great intro, but it is the the entire song. I mean, I think this is this is very possibly my favorite creator track, period. It is so good. This is one of the songs <laughs> I found but, myself singing while I was, you know, just like doing household chores within a, a listen or two of the album. And I'm like, it just cracked me up, like the, the bizarre 
absurdity of, you know, just quietly singing totalitarian terror as I'm doing the dishes or whatever, or vacuum. Yeah, totally. We're not afraid to live. We're not afraid to die. Yeah. And you're, as you're putting your, uh, as you're drying your dinner Folding plate your and putting it back yeah. in the cupboard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are the but antidote to the radicalized as you're putting so the silverware away. It's so good. Like the, again, the riff just blistering and brilliant. Uh, the pre-chorus that like the, the oh, you just said that we're not afraid to live. We're not afraid to die with so that good, soaring. Dude guitar fantastic you know that again the combination yep. of melody and and heaviness really works for me there and then the chorus itself just utterly pounding but still catchy still you know yeah fist puncher a kind of you know sing along chant along the way he sings totalitarian terror just every syllable dripping yep. with aggression and hatred i love it which again dude is is uh, a, a testament to him and his delivery and his and his approach and his voice all of it dude like this is a great example of like the way he delivers the lyrics in the song are are so crucial to the feel of the entire song and and again the lyrics dude Propagating hate campaigns are coming to an end, dethroning kings by civil disobedience. This is our redemption. We are stronger than the rest. Now realize our time has come. You know, rising up, uniting, overthrowing. Resistance must rise when freedom has died. Oh, dude, so good. Like that... that's, That was actually the first note I wrote on this song. Resistance must rise when freedom has died. Like, just talk about a rallying cry this this song is it's got all of that and it's just uh you said it's your it might be my favorite creator track too it's just it's just about perfect yeah it, it is i mean i have there is literally nothing in this song that i could suggest a change or that i think could be improved i think it is absolutely for this band for creator as you say it's just an almost perfect song um and actually, the, the talking about sort of screamers and shouters versus growlers. So the end of this song has a, a little detail that I think really underlines that for me. The very last line, uh, the last time that he sings, resistance must rise when freedom has died. And the la- when he sings it the last time, he really extends the die. So it's when freedom yep. has died, you know, uh, as the music climaxes as well. And that there is a for me a perfect illustration of why i love screamer shouters rather than growlers because a growler doing that for me would just wouldn't have the same effect it feels forced a lot of times whereas this just feels like unbridled rage exactly exactly frustrated rage yep uh and you know that's one of the things that i like coming to metal for yep 100 percent. the catharsis is there in this song like I mean, if I, if I wanted to tell somebody like, why why do you love this album? Just put this song on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just be like, <laughs> yep. You like that? You want a whole hour of that? Well, come over here. Yeah. Right. And by contrast, you know, if you don't like this song, you're probably not going to like. Yeah. You might want to pass on this one. <laughs> this album. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to stray too far from this on this album. So yeah, it's like well, it's like playing somebody um, battery. You know, yes. it's like if you if you don't like battery, you're not going to dig the rest of the album. You know, right? It's <laughs> just, a good gauge. Just stop there. Uh, so, uh, track five then is "Gods of Violence," the title track. Rain, 
I mean, uh, uh, we just talked about how we're not going to stray too far, but the opening to the song is very fade to black, right? And and um, has a lot of great uh, melody. There is a harp being played in the beginning of the song, and the the harpist is a 12-year-old by the name of Tekla Lee Waddenston. And she played harp on this album. Yeah, par- I, I couldn't find out. James like, Bogren knew her. I assume okay, that she's like a local musician or something that he was aware of in Sweden. Which is pretty amazing. And uh, it does have a very melodic and very sort of build. And then the song uh, kicks in. So it, it does give you a reprieve from totalitarian terror. You get a bit of a breather. And then this song kicks in. And, and um, this song is much slower tempo than totalitarian terror. So it it is, it's a bit of a break, but it's a pretty epic song. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's a, it's a palate cleanser, the intro, I think, after the previous track. Uh, again, gives you time to catch your breath. Um, until, yes, then it kicks in with that another sort of storming fist puncher of the chanting, we shall kill. Um, yeah. And he said uh, he wanted to create a Greek vibe because a lot of uh, uh, this album ties back to Greek mythology. And so he said he wanted to create a Greek vibe in the beginning of the song. Uh, this is Miller saying this. Uh, he said, to me, music is also very visual. And I was imagining myself sitting at the Acropolis with all the philosophers. That's what the intro should make you feel like, like being in ancient Greece. Yeah, there's, uh, so I, I was going to mention that, yeah, that the, this album was actually originally going to be a concept album. Um, and it was their original thought. And there are still a few tracks on here, which tie into that concept, but then they abandoned the actual concept album idea. But the idea was, and Satan is real is one of them. The idea was that, uh, war was born during some orgy of the gods uh, with the the original gods the idea being that the greek pantheon were the original gods and that war was born out of them uh and then has been with us throughout ever since you know throughout human history um like i say that concept was kind of put to the wayside uh eventually and so it just sort of permeates a bit throughout some of the lyrics on the album but you can absolutely see it in this track you know it's very clearly uh about that although he also insists that the we shall kill thing is about uh you know killing the past killing preconceptions and old notions and moving forward uh, into a more sort of liberal and progressive society that doesn't come across quite so much to me in the lyrics (laughs) but also just the idea that is woven in a lot of this like in order to like a couple things one is that we've never had peace you know him coming to the realization that there's never been a time where we've truly been at peace and also that um you have to fight for it and and we have we're gonna have to fight for it like in order to to get to this place that we want to be yeah yeah I think it's uh, musically. I like the the lead guitar that plays under the riff at the start when he's chanting "We shall kill," and you've got the guitar doing that sort of nice, almost uh, you know Mediterranean uh, lead line underneath it. The main riff I don't think is quite the strongest on the album. I think yep. it's kind of a little needlessly complex, and it's actually better I think when they simplify it for the chorus. Um, but one of the things I do absolutely love is in the middle eight, there is a sort of twin guitar attack, melodic guitar line that is just so Euro metal. Yes, dude. And they do that a lot. <laughs> I agree. I love it. 
I heard it and I'm like, that just sounds like it's completely ripped from mid eighties Halloween. That do that is a hundred percent Halloween, and you're absolutely right. And that's another thing too is this this album is the gift that keeps on giving because the more you do listen to it, the more you start to pick out like, oh, oh yeah, that's reminiscent of this, or oh yeah, that's and these guys have been around since eighty two, so they have lived through all of that. You know, they've toured with all these bands. They they're contemporaries with all these, and so it's it is kind of cool to to. Oh, the, yeah, I mean, they were there at the time. They've earned the right to do oh, 100%. this. 100%. <laughs> and, and I think for a band that's – and I mentioned before how it feels like, especially with Mila, genuine and authentic. And I do feel like the music that they're making right now, especially when you start to pick it apart a little bit, it feels like their entire history put together it feels like all the elements that they've picked up over the years and that have evolved a little bit and that they tried and experimented with and and listening to almost like a living history of their musical journey is really awesome you know as you start to pick out those little pieces of it but the the halloween piece you're dead on 100 percent. yeah no i absolutely agree that i think and again i'm not that familiar with creator but listening to this album it did feel like and does feel like a sort of culmination almost of like yeah you know this is everything that we've done up until this point now distilled into its final form if you well will. And not even that that they've done right but that they've lived through well, and yeah, that's what's yeah. kind of cool because so many bands maybe not so many but there are a lot of bands out there who believe that they're the only ones that can do the thing that they can do right and so and and are you know, uh, protecting themselves from being influenced by other people and stuff like that. And I, I just feel like to go back to what Milo was saying that we quoted earlier about him wanting creator's music to be just joyful and to be a celebration of metal and a celebration of music. And I think all those little things that they incorporate along the way are validating that statement. I couldn't agree more. Um, let's move on then to track six, Army of Storms. This has one of my favorite opening riffs, for sure. And this is one of those songs that uh, almost feels like it could be like a sea shanty, like a like a like the shanty that you that you sing on a boat, you know, on on your <laughs> ship on the water. Like it, it has that uh, a little bit Amana Marth feel to me. Um, again, very sort of in the pre-chorus, it's climbing, it's charging, and I, I love the. It's called Army of Storms, so I feel like in the chorus. 
the drums, it has this sort of galloping feel to it. This, this idea that it is this, you know, this army that's coming forth. And I, I like how the lyrics and the music tie into each other to, to give you that feeling of this sort of army coming together. Yeah. The, that opening riff to me actually sounds really Metallica. Like the more I listened to it, the more I was like, I could really imagine hearing this on a sort of mid period Metallica album. Uh, again, you know, talking about those influences with like the, the Halloween bit in the last song, not a bad thing. Just listened to it. I was like, yeah, that's kind of, and again, Miller's talked about him loving Metallica. So I can, I can see that fitting in. Um, I like the, the opening melodic guitar that goes over that riff. Yep. Uh, again, I think that's, that's really good. The main riff itself, I don't think is all that interesting. Um, you know, and the chorus isn't the best for me. Uh, what I do like one nice little thing is in the pre-chorus, uh, you know, from the tornadoes and hurricanes bit. Yep. If you listen to that, you'll note that the final line is extended. So the beyond the blood red horizons bit that shouldn't be there. That's an extra eight bars that have been added between the pre-chorus and the chorus. But I think it's a good call because like I said, the chorus by itself, I don't think is really anything that special, but by adding this extra line in and making it unusual, you know, you unconsciously, you sort of go, Oh, you know, I wasn't expecting that. And I think that makes the whole ensemble of the pre-chorus and chorus itself more interesting by doing something unusual. So again, it's not, this isn't my favorites on the album, but I like that they, you know, took that approach to it to make something interesting out of it, if you like. Well, and I like, I do like how the chorus, you know, starts with screaming out ride, right. And the way just kind of, it, it sort of explodes in the, uh, in the beginning of the chorus, even though the chorus itself isn't that amazing. It it is a nice, like coming out of the pre-chorus and it just kind of explodes out, you know? Yeah. For me, the best bit of this song actually is the end. Uh, and I, I don't mean that in the fact that it ends. I mean, that you wanted it to be over. Yeah, no, no, no. What I mean is the the bit with the stop start riffing that you know, I, again, I'm a sucker for that. Um, this particular one reminds me of Davidian from Machine Head's first album, Burn My Eyes, which has got the same sort of, I mean, that's actually more a rhythmic uh than this one this one does follow a fairly standard 4-4 beat but it works it's good uh pantera did it as well at least once that i can think of but like i say i'm a sucker for it i i think it works really well and uh and it does on this song as well yeah should we move on then track seven hail to the hordes Let us be the voice of what words cannot express The 
this has another sort of like drinking song almost uh feel to it again i i, I kept thinking of monomarth in these uh yeah, yeah. in these couple songs here but a very sort of an, an anthem for the outcasts um we carry each other through the darkest moments in life stronger than hate stronger than fear stronger than all we are one hail to the hordes right i do like the song is pretty simple and and kind of straight ahead but i do like the anthemic vibe of it and it feels like a continuation of uh, this kind of army of storms it, it, it sort of vibe you know yeah i mean i assume that this is a barnstormer live you know this is oh, gonna be yeah especially it's, at the end where it's like at the 345 mark where they're screaming hail right i, yeah. I can only imagine that people are just freaking <laughs> People start to wonder if they've walked into a Man of War concert by mistake. Yeah, totally. Yeah, 100%. Man of War is a good example of that too, yeah. Yeah. It is, it, you're right, it's very sort of Celtic influenced. It's got a kind of bouncing, almost jig-like rhythm to it, which is very nice. Reminded me of sort of like, you know, Thin Lizzy uh, did that in some songs as well. Well, and um, the lead under the rhythm, under the riffs, you know, is pretty cool yeah. too. It's got that, it, it, it kind of brings you along. It's really, uh, which again, they do a really good job of in this band throughout this album. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you talked about this song being really simple. It's also, it's the shortest song on the album, except for the instrumental intro. But, you know, that aside, this is the shortest song on the album. And I think that's because it is so simple. It's, I mean, it's their radio song for this album, if you had to pick one, right? I guess, yeah. Although I'm not sure if this was actually ever released as a single. No, no, but, but, it, but it could be. Like, if you were going through the album saying, absolutely. you know, which one is the radio-friendly version, it's this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, most of the song is just the chorus. Mm-hmm. Like that chorus is really long and takes up the vast majority of the running time of this song. Uh, the verse is really, you know, ordinary. It's nothing completely forgettable, really. Uh, very sort of bog standard chords and riff doesn't last that long. And then it's back to the chorus again. Um, it is, you know, it's that chorus over and over with a few other bits around it to make the structure of a song. Oh, that's fine because it's a really really great chorus and yeah like i say i can really imagine this being a great song live to sing along to and get the entire crowd involved yeah and it's an it's an uh, it's that unity theme right of like coming together yeah. and and which as you said makes for a great live tune yeah this is the one with uh bagpipes on it boris pfeiffer from a band called in extremo apparently plays the bagpipes on this which is uh fitting for a sort of yeah that kind of unity call to arms song that said, they're not very, you know, can't actually hear them all that much in the mix. <laughs> you know, good, good luck spotting them, but I'm assured they are there. Yep. Uh, track eight then, Lion with Eagle Wings. Independence 
I mean, this one clearly has uh, the mythology, you know, linked to it. Yeah. The sort of music box opening to the song is very interesting. And they kind of, they come back to it not as robustly towards the end, but it is, uh, it's an interesting intro. Yeah, that sort of menacing whisper. I like it. Yeah, me too. You know, the theme of just being able to be above it all, right? Be, escape, uh, and and be above, like, all the chaos that's sort of happening down below and um, be free from it is uh, is an interesting theme. Yeah. Um, it's got a nice, that melodic lead line when he sings, As I Fly, uh, and it, as it goes into the chorus, it's... Yeah, you know, the, the lead guitar just kind of, again, sort of lifts up, he soars a bit, which feels very appropriate, obviously, to the lyrics. Um, it, I do like this chorus, but it is kind of, I don't know, I'm not just not sure whether it fits with the lyrics in the, like, it's really, really aggressive. Right. <laughs> it's right. It's, it's ag- very fast. Yeah. And, and, it's it, and it's got that. Yeah, it's delivered with, again, with a Miller's kind of like absolute, uh, and you're like, does that really fit these lyrics? No, and I agree with you because it actually, like the the lyrics and the visuals that it's conjuring in your brain are like of this being able to escape and kind of soar and, and have this sort of freedom from it all. So a chorus that feels more chaotic and aggressive almost feels the opposite of the vibe that you're trying to create in the song. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. my thought. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like this song and I do like that chorus, but yeah, I just, it's such a weird juxtaposition. Um, bit of Iron Maiden in the middle eight here as well. Yep. Before it gets back to the main riff, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot to say about this song. It's a good song. Uh, it's not one of the ones that I would necessarily ditch from the album. Um, I just don't have a lot to say about it. I guess it's, it's a fine song. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I, I like the music box intro and the sort of xylophone outro uh, that we get at the end. And um, But like you said, there there is that little bit of kind of lyrics and melody not being the perfect fit here, which I think stands out because in every other song, it feels like they're a perfect fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is odd. Well, let's move on then to track nine, Fallen Brother. second for my favorite song on the album oh really this is one of the ones that i would cut (laughs) 
I just love the rhythm. I love the way he screams fallen brother. I love, I'd love, I just love the feel of this song. Yeah. I mean, I think again, I don't think there are any bad tracks on this album. I do. I think it's a fine song, but I think if you were going to drop any track on the album, it would be, well, either this or the next one, basically. Um, it's got, I, I like the intro. It feels almost feels like, and I can't, I can't put this, I, I can't quantify this, but when you hear the intro to this song, it almost feels like it's going to be the last song on the album. There's something about the way this intro works that feels like it could be the last track on an album to me. Uh, and I, I, I could I wish, see that. Yeah. I wish I could sort of explain why, but it's just a gut feeling. Um, it's very trad, this song. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm not so enamored of it. I don't know. It does feel very, very trad and, you know, a bit old fashioned in places. I agree. It does. And and that's probably why I like it. Uh, <laughs> and it, it just the idea of it being like a, an, an emotional sort of ode to a lost loved one. Um, the, the chorus I really like just again, the way he delivers fallen brother, the reflecting back on the, you know, the times and the battles that they've had together and then sort of remembering your lost ones. Um, there's this part in the middle where it's spoken words and it, and it, translates probably poorly through google translate to um well hang on before you read out read it out the uh that's actually not miller as well oh really i didn't know that yeah the, so this middle eight is a poem written by a friend of miller's a guy called dagobert jaeger uh and he is the one who reads it as well or that's what miller said in an interview that i saw with him so i assume it's true um so yeah he like this friend of his wrote this poem himself and then read it for the album and so what where, what I was able to find on it, it says, Behind the grave bones where thoughts appear as ghosts, the dead laugh and drink the wine, we cry with pain for losses. Yeah, I think the, I think the, a, a more native translation for that last one would be, while we cry with pain at our loss. So the idea is that the spirits yep. are having a great time, we're, and it's us who are left to live. And we're the ones who are suffering. Right, who are suffering, yeah. which is you know a fairly common theme. For sure. I also like at the end of this song how it picks up, you know, it, it actually gets more aggressive at the end, right before yes. it it sort of slows down and ends out, which I think is really cool. Yeah, that's true. Um, I was just going to say, you were talking about the, the the lyrics being about how we won't forget and stuff. The very last, because uh, there are several other German lines in this, and the very last line of the chorus is, Wir vergessen nicht was war, which translates as, we do not forget what was which I think, you know, sums up the whole of the lyrics of this song. Really. Yep. As I say, it's like, I don't dislike it at all. It's not a bad song. It just emotionally resonated with me. Like it definitely, yeah. I, I, uh, the chorus actually kind of gave me chills when I listened to it because it just really hit home. Yeah. All right. Well then I won't, I won't remove it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for keeping it on the album. I appreciate it. As we do our, our remix and, and, uh, repositioning. Yeah. Just for you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So, track 10, side by side. <laughs> Run 
A very interesting song, right? Because they're calling out the homophobes in this yes. song, which is pretty awesome that on Creator's thrash album, they're, uh, w- but when you listen to the rest of the songs and you listen to the themes that run through all of them, not surprising at all. Yeah. Um, but I, I like specifically that he, that he calls out the homophobes in this song. Yeah, very specifically, like literally, where's the... Side by side um, as we crush homophobia. We'll crush homophobia, that's it, yeah, yeah. And we'll never let the shame turn our vision to ice, and I'll remain by your side. Again, dude, some great lyrics in this song. There really are. I mean, and it's uh, it's a bit of a stormer of a uh, of a song as well. The intro is kind of a, a riff in a hurry, is how I put it. <laughs> I like that. A riff in a hurry. I like it re- that. It really is. Um, the problem, and again, like I said, this is one of the other songs that I would you know, that I don't, I think is one of the weaker on the albums. And that's partly because the chorus, I mean, I agree that the sentiment of the lyrics is great. The chorus feels kind of the side by side bit is good, but the rest of the chorus just feels kind of awkwardly hammered in there. And there's not a lot of melody, which doesn't help. And it it just, it's not great. What does work for me is when they switch it up and about a minute and 40 in, they go half time with the same thing. like So the drums suddenly go half time while yep. they're singing side by side. And that to me feels like it should have been the main chorus because it, it breathes more um, and everything just, I don't know, just feels like it fits together better. What do you think about the part where they slow down and go acoustic and he's doing kind of like a, almost a spoken word. Oh, I like that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the lyrics there to you who face the wrath of sacrosancts, to you who feel despised or unbeloved, to you whose hope is killed by the pestilence in their eyes, I'll be your, by your side. And uh, I like that he slowed it down so that it was really clear. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, yeah, to yeah. deliver the message. Yeah, right, exactly. There's no mistaking that message. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I mean, that is one of the better parts of the song. Uh, and then it comes out again, comes out into the half-time side-by-side yep. side bit, uh, which, as I say, I think is the, is the better version. Um, all right, well then let's get on to the closer then, to track 11, Death Becomes My Light. A disembodied voice whisper in my ear Tell me why, why are you here? As we sail across the river sticks Into Elysium, unto the dark I mean, this one, I think, ties back to when it was a concept album, right? Because there is the whole idea of, like, the 
the release of finally being free and finally finding his peace and death and all that kind of stuff, but then getting sent back. And then getting dragged back, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is supposed to be apparently about a near-death experience, you know, the old uh, idea of seeing a tunnel of light and all that sort of thing. Yep. Um, which I must admit, I didn't get on the first few listens through, and it wasn't until I heard Miller say that, literally say it in an interview, and I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if it's not clear when he says, uh, I can't believe this is happening to me, why have I returned to hate and tragedy where confusion turns the world into hell, back to famine, jealousy, and greed? Tell me now, can no one see this is all we have? Yeah. it's So, uh, yeah, like that whole being yanked back into your body after you have found that peace. Yeah, well, and that is done as well. The the Musically, when he's doing that uh, bit, I can't believe this is happening to me, why have I returned to hate and tragedy, is the same as the intro, where he's, again, spoken word, I can't believe this is happening to me, like the ultimate lucid dream. So you've got that. It's the same musically when he's leaving his body and then when he's returning to it as well, which yep. is nice, uh, you know, nice parallel, I think. I wonder if they ever did, I don't think they did a video for this one, but this this one I think would lend itself to a good video. Yeah. Um, Noli temeri mesorum, by the way, is Latin for don't fear the reaper. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's literally Latin for don't fear the reaper. <laughs> now, what do you think about this song as the closer? I think it's an odd one. I mean, it's the longest song on the album. So yep. you can kind of see that and you can understand lyrically it fits as the last song, but musically, I'm just not sure. Yeah. I don't know if it really, if it musically, if it fits best at the end. Um, I almost think you could have swapped Fallen Brother or Side by Side to the end and it would have ended on a little more of an up note. But then again, when you look at the sort of landscape that this entire album is being painted against, I can also see thematically why they ended the way that he did, because then you go back and we're in World War Now, right? So, Oh, yeah. Like I say, I think lyrically, yeah. it fits at the end of the album. Absolutely. I just musically, I think maybe they could have made some different choices to make it feel more like a closing track, because the way this yep. track ends feels almost like there's something missing. feels like there's more to come. Like there's going to be a capper. Yeah. Right. On, yeah. On, in the next song that will really drive home the end of the album so yeah yeah i i agree i don't i do however like i don't know where else i would have stuck it but i also don't love it as the closer yeah i love the solo section at the end however when they have all those bluesy solos yep um which are very unlike you know solos heard on the rest of the album which are mostly kind of blistering you, but you that's a great point because they I think they have almost like three categories of solos on this album. The, the bluesy ones that you talked about, almost more traditional 80s power metal solos in some areas, and then ones that are definitely more thrashy, like you'd hear in a Slayer song or something exactly. like that. I feel yeah. like they, they have, uh, and they go between those in different songs. And sometimes in the same song when they're doing trade-offs, like one of them will be doing a little bit more traditional, one of them will dive into something that's a little more um, traditionally thrashy. Yeah. Uh but yeah, interesting stuff. One of the things I wanted to point out, uh, and this is that the middle eight again, he's very maiden, very, very iron maiden. Yep. Um, and especially the end of the section with lyrics where he goes down the scale, where he sings the, I hear the voices surrounding my eternal soul. That is so yep. Phantom of the Opera. That is so Bruce Dickinson, man. <laughs> well, and you know what else is very maiden? The fact that they have consistently high quality lyrics. That, true. So, yes. and and that they are very much uh, that Miller is very much a storyteller in the songs, right? Because that's one of the things that even when I don't 
really groove on the music for an Iron Maiden tune or even an album. Like Book of Souls was an album that didn't really musically resonate with me. But it's the Bruce Dickinson storytelling. Yeah. That like I I put on an Maiden oh, no, album. It, and it's not but it's not Dickinson, is it? It's mostly uh Steve Harris who writes the lyrics. Right. But I mean just him delivering that sort of oh, okay. you know, telling me a story. I put on an album and I hear a story, right? And and I think that maybe Miller doesn't get enough credit for that because it is him right you know writing these these songs for creator and the storytelling is really good and that reminds me of maiden as well in addition to some of the musical pieces there but just the storytelling aspect of it yeah no i i agree it's uh as i say i think lyrically he is great and you're right it pro- almost certainly overlooked be- partly because probably of the style of creator's music yep um you know as we know f- again from early metallica uh a lot of people only hear <laughs> the aggression and the speed and don't it doesn't even cross their minds to think that actually there might be some strong lyrical content here yep. as well um totally. you know look, look at things albums like ride the lightning and master of puppets yeah fantastic lyrics mm-hmm. uh but people who aren't enthusiasts won't hear it uh which is a shame so overall i think this is a great album it does dip a little after the first half for me, but like I've said before, you know, the, I don't think there are any bad tracks on this album. And I think that's kind of remarkable given the intensity of it. And again, given how old they are, you know, these guys are in their fifties. That's kind of, trust me, I'm not, I'm not quite yet in my fifties and I'm not sure I could be this aggressive. <laughs> it is relentlessly aggressive. And it is like, this is a great thrash album. Yeah, they slow it down here or there. Sure, there's a lot more melody in it than a lot of other thrash albums, but holy crap, man, if you if you just want to come for the aggression, it is here and it is consistent and this is a good hours worth of catharsis and I'm I love this album. Like this this is actually becoming a uh quarantine slash desert island album for me because <laughs> I I go through periods of time where I'll just listen to it for a week straight and and just can't stop listening to it and it it is it's a great listen. It's a fun listen. It's got a great flow to it. And um, I cannot wait. I know they're working on their new album now. Apparently so, yeah. And I cannot wait for it. I just cannot wait for it. Like, And I, this is a band that you mentioned you had not seen them. I have not seen them live either. And I, they're a bucket list band for me now to see live for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to thank you for picking this album because, like I said, I, you know, I was a little bit familiar with Creator, but... I wouldn't have listened to this album, probably, unless you had picked it. Uh, And yeah, it has rapidly become a regular album that I just, you know, obviously you and I both listen to the albums that we do a lot for the show. (laughs) For sure. But, you know, it probably won't surprise anyone to learn that there are some albums we've done where I only listen to them for the purpose of doing the show and then, you know, aren't really bothered about them uh, elsewhere. But this album, I will just put on and play. It's really, really good. Um, And I think, much like, as we've said before, about like Modern Testament is a band who, ironically, 30 or 40 years into their career are actually now at the height of their powers. They They may not be the buzz band that they were when they started. But if you just want, if you want to ignore their ages and ignore the band's history and just listen to great examples of what this band can do, I think this is a fantastic album. Yep. Wholeheartedly agree. All right. So let us 
Well, before we get onto the homework, uh, I will once again give the usual spiels and say to everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, if you enjoy the show, remember, do please spread the word, tell your friends, rate us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Google Podcasts and wherever you listen to us. Uh, and you can go to patreon.com slash thrash it out. I'll say that again. I put my teeth in. So you can go to patreon.com slash thrash it out to support us uh, and keep the show, help get the show running. If you want to get in touch, go to thrashedoutpodcast.com for those links that I mentioned earlier, email and Twitter, and uh, there is a link to the Facebook group on there as well. Uh, one more thing before we do that, too. If you have sent an email in, usually Anthony or I are pretty good about responding to people when they email in. If for any reason I haven't responded to something that you might have emailed in with what's been going on lately, it's been a little bit crazy, and I was traveling right before the world started to fall apart. And so I am making my way through that stuff now. So if you haven't heard from me and you did send something <laughs> in, whether it was an album recommendation or um, just a note about one of the previous episodes, like I, you will definitely be hearing from me. And, and Anthony has been doing a much better job of getting back to people like immediately uh, when they do reach out. So So please continue to do that. Yeah, and we, we really do like to hear from you, both on Facebook and in email or on Twitter or whatever. You know, we love hearing from people who listen to the show because, you know, as we've said before, we do this for our own enjoyment and amusement uh, and because we enjoy doing stuff like this together. But at the same time, you know, we obviously do we, the whole reason we record it is <laughs> so that other people can listen. So we do love to hear from people who are enjoying it. Now, I mentioned at the end of the last volume that I want to uh, focus a little more on newer bands. You know, I am well aware that I am not getting any younger and that I am uh, prone to listening to older stuff, you know, that when I was in my heyday, as it were. Um, and I try not to, and I do try to listen to newer stuff, but not being in the scene as much as I used to. Sometimes it's difficult to know what to listen to and what's good and what's out there. So I asked uh, listeners for suggestions. I I would still love to hear your suggestions. You know, if if you haven't given me suggestions and you're hearing this for the first time, please send them in. I would still love to hear of new great metal bands. Um, you know, it's not like the search is over or anything. It's ongoing. Um, but I did nevertheless get a lot of suggestions from people. I have listened to most, though not all, of those uh, suggestions, because there were a, a fucking lot of them, actually. Um, some of them, uh, I'll actually, I'll go through some of the ones that I've uh, listened to and decided that I definitely won't cover. And that's not necessarily because they were bad, but just, you know, for one reason or another. So, uh, Chronosphere. Uh, I've got my little notes about the Chronosphere. Good modern thrash, but didn't blow me away. There you go. Havoc, with a K. Again, good one thrash with a funky bass, but again, didn't blow me away. Uh, a band called Ultra Violence. I actually really liked that, but there's no way I'd cover it on the show. And I'm so I'm partly mentioning it here, Brian, so you can go and listen to it. Okay. It's Ultra Dash Violence. It is ridiculously over the top death thrash. Like it is so camp and almost on the verge of parody, but not quite. But it's really well done. Like I said, I actually did enjoy listening to it, but there's no way that I would cover it on the show. But you, who knows, you might want to. Okay. Or you might just enjoy listening to it anyway. I would say Havoc, too, is a band that is still in my potential list for covering on the show. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, what uh, Alien Weaponry. They are a Maori, a New Zealand Maori metal band. Very... Imagine if Sepultura were, for, were Maori from New Zealand. That's kind of the impression I got from that. Again, it's not bad. 
but not necessarily something I would cover. Um, and then finally, there was a band called Scardust, who are really, really math stroke technical metal, which isn't really my thing. They did it very well. And if you're into that stuff, I would say go and listen to them. Uh, but I'm not really into that. That's not my thing. Um, so yeah, again, won't be covering them on the show. But there were many other bands that I'm still listening to or checking out other stuff in their uh, catalogs that I may feature on the show. So there's lots of stuff that hasn't been counted out yet. And thank you to everyone who sent in suggestions or made suggestions on the Facebook group because, yeah, there was lots of good stuff uh, and just lots of interesting stuff. You know, even the stuff that I'm not that keen on, it's good to listen to it just so I know it helps me keep up with the scene. Right. You know? Um, so anyway, out of all of that, next episode, we are going to do one of those newer bands. Not every choice of mine this volume will be one of those new bands, but we're going to start off with one. And that is a band called Gate Creeper. Well, I love the name. It's a great name, isn't it? And we're going to do, and I should point out that I'm not necessarily going to pick all of these albums because I think they're the best albums ever, but they're the ones that I think are at least good and then will be interesting for us to talk about. That's the other, you know, uh, essential criterion. So yeah, Gate Creeper, we're going to do their most recent album. Hi, this is Anthony, just quickly butting in here. I actually made a mistake uh, in the original recording of this episode. The album title that we're going to listen to by Gate Creeper is Deserted. So that's the one you should listen to. Sorry about that. What would be your description, your your one-sentence description of their style? It is grind death with a bit of groove. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> it's, okay. Well, does, now, now does I'm intrigued. <laughs> the, between the name and your description, now I'm, now I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, does, does that help at all? The, I well, don't the know. title didn't grab me, but your description and the, and the name of the band, I think, are, are two out of three. I'll take it. I'm ready to right. roll. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, that is what we'll talk about on the next show then. And until then, everybody, as we said, for God's sake, stay indoors, you know, do what your health uh, experts tell you to take precautions, wash your hands and, you know, just be well and keep thrashing. Take care. Shit!